Good evening, everyone. Everyone's uh, filing in. So uh, appreciate uh, appreciate everyone coming on board this evening. A um, couple things I need to uh, address. Number one is we're going to pan out a little bit. See that shirt, everybody? <laughs> New Boilermakers. And they are playing in the Sweet 16 basketball. Hoo-hoo, ha it's been a long time since, I mean, well, it hadn't been a long time, but it's been a long time since Purdue's had a, a team that is worthy of this. And I think this team's pretty good. Uh, there's also a Kansas team in. Uh, there's an Iowa mm -hmm. State think, is in. So this is kind of a fun uh, tournament this year. Um, how's everybody, how's everyone doing? Uh, and again, I want to reiterate that I have the three rules of this podcast. It's always live. Uh, it's, it's all the, the, the participants do not know what I'm going to ask them. And the third thing is it doesn't matter where we are. And Carol, my wife, Carol, and I happen to be on our final leg of our winter vacation and we are heading toward Bryce Canyon, Utah. So I am in the passenger seat of our pickup right now. So I'll give a little, a little shot out the window. It's really kind of very cool, very cool. And I am, I am so honored and pleased for the guests we have this, this evening. Uh, Jessica Nadd, uh, what a great lady, done so many good things and much more to do. Uh, giddy up, let's go. Jess, how you doing? What is on your mind right now? Well, thank you so much. Uh, actually, I'm pretty nervous, Rick, because I text Rachel earlier this afternoon. And I was like, hey, Rachel, you know, what's the format? What questions does Rick have up his sleeve? And, and she said, don't worry about that, Jessica. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there, there, there's nothing you need to know, Jess. It's like everything oh. else. <laughs> and it's all about just the conversation we're going to have and hopefully, um, the interaction from from the, the the audience. So let's see what we can do. Absolutely. So you, you kind of this was my layup question. I knew you're going to ask it. So um, you know, I think what's on my mind right now is is rest and recovery. I'm coming off of a kind of difficult winter. Um, had to had to have a major knee surgery. So recovering from that. And if you know anything about me, I'm very active and I do a lot of different activities. So to have something kind of knock me on my butt was, yeah. was, uh, it, it was a big deal. So, um, had spent a lot of time thinking and I, I wasn't expecting to have time to kind of like reevaluate regenerative agriculture and my path in it, but I was, I've been able to do that for a while. <laughs> yeah. And you know, we're too young to have health problems, but isn't it amazing how much you, you don't realize how important health is until you don't have it. Now, I know a knee is a little different than being a, some kind of a, of a major health thing, but it's still, it cripples your daily life. You have to structure everything around that knee. I mean, you've been on this recovery for, for how many weeks now? So I think I'm about 16 weeks. Uh, I think the biggest takeaway, I'm very active and I'm, I work out a lot. I've, I was a Pilates instructor for a number of years. I've taken care of my body. And so to have something like this happen to me, I was, you know, it's like, what did I do wrong? I think the key is, is, you know, just keeping your strength up and we got to do that mentally and physically. 
and uh, just make sure that we're taking care of our bodies. And we were at a conference in Kansas and the question um, actually was Nicole Masters brought this up in her latest book. Are we regenerating ourselves? A lot of us that are in this movement, we're go, go, go. We're talking about healthy food and nutrient density, but are we, are we checking all the boxes? And so I, I ebb and flow. There's times I do really good at it. And there's, there's times that, that I don't do good. Yeah. Well, and, and I've always said this, um, it, it's so hard. I won't get to text messages. It's so hard, um, for a woman to have a professional career and start a family and, and do the juggling act. I don't know. I don't <laughs> do this because you're so much stronger than men. Your, your pain tolerance is triple the, of a man and, and you juggle all this. So how do you, how do you do that? Oh, good gosh. That's a good question. Um, I do think, yeah. So ACL reconstruction was harder than labor and delivery. I will tell you that much. Um, how do I do it? I mean, I think ultimately I have a great support network. And when I, when I brought this idea up to my husband about like, Hey, I think I can do this kind of work. There was no doubts, no question. Um, he helped me form the company and form the type of consulting work that I was doing and, and really just like said, what do you need? I'll help you. And and our life we do, we juggle a lot and constant communication of who's going to do what, when, where, and also I think ultimately as, as a mother, this time period is so short, just yeah. do, do the thing. If your kid, you know, if your kid wants to go do that, just go do it. We'll figure out how to make it work. And I think the world's changed because of COVID. I was saying earlier, I'm unapologetically a mom. Um, my younger kids, their school doesn't start till eight 30. Like what school starts at eight 30. So I used to always try to juggle. I'd get up and I'd work at seven and I'd end yeah. up just kind of being a crappy mom. And now, you know, I start work after I drop them off. That's, that's just how I do it. I set, set some good boundaries. Well, that's good. That's good that you've got that, that kind of structure and that you're able to do that. Um, now, Jess, let's go back. If you don't mind, I like to try to do this with, with everyone. I like to build some history so that we all understand where you've been, what you've gone through and where, where's Jessica Nad heading right now. Okay. So <laughs> You go back as far as you want. I don't care if you want to go. I mean, the other day, uh, we went back to fifth grade with, yeah. uh, with, with the guests. So you do whatever you want, but uh, let's start there. Where, 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 where did this notion of we got to save the, the, the world come from? Oh, my gosh, Rick. It started in fifth grade. I'm not kidding you. I had no fifth idea. Grade. When I was in fifth grade, I started a recycling club at my elementary school. It was called Save the Earth. We called it STE. And we convinced teachers. Um, one of the moms went and bought these little containers. And at the end of the day, people could put their recyclables. And then this mom in the STE club would collect it. And we would load it up into her. She had like a um, this tiny convertible for some reason. And we would load it up and then we would take it to the recycle center. So I had no idea. I haven't thought of that story in 20 years, but you said fifth well, grade. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to, I don't want to uh, age you here, Jess, but we're talking several <laughs> years ago, right? And you were already thinking about, about recycling things. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm not going to do the math on that one right now. We can do it later. Either. But, uh, I do think that I've always had this concern. I I grew up in a household where we had to be conscious about how we spent money. 
And so I think when you grow up in a household like that, you're always thinking about ways that you can, you can be thrifty. And so I think that's also where a lot of it came from. My parents used to keep big gardens in the summertime. They were teachers. And then my dad was a principal. And I don't think I realized back then we kept big gardens because it actually helped feed us. You know, I, I didn't know that they didn't, they didn't tell me that, but the, but having the big garden and growing our own food was a part of my, it's a part of the fabric of my life. Um, I understand now as a parent, how difficult it is to, to keep all the ends, keep everything going. And so having that garden was very supplemental. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, when I think back of when I was a child, I think back of that gave us responsibilities, things to do. You know, we, we learned how to budget time. We thought, well, we tried, we learned how to, how to, how to be structured. And, and, you know, if you're going to raise cattle, then you better get up uh, an hour before school's the bus come and get all the chores done. And then away you go to school or whatever it is you're doing. And I really appreciated that. And we tried to do that with our kids also give them chores to do structure and then it just starts building that that self-esteem and 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 you understand that that uh you know time is important so i, I think it's great that you did all that so that yeah. gets us up to what junior high or so down <laughs> that where we are? yeah and you know just a side note with our i have a 12 year old you asked me how i do this with kiddos you know my 12 year old he was out stacking wood when he was three, four years old. He was out taking care of uh, the dog and small chores. And so he's 12. And when I went through my surgery and I couldn't get up with him. And if my, like, if my husband was gone for work, he'd get up, you know, fix himself breakfast, pack a lunch, holler at his sisters. I mean, that didn't just happen when he got in sixth grade, like that's been 12 years in the making. And so um, we definitely talk about that. So I don't know. I mean, I think throughout school too, um, my parents also had this thing called being a food pioneer. And we, we would, um, when we would travel, we wouldn't eat at the chain restaurants. Like I actually never ate at McDonald's growing up and I never ate at like an Applebee's until I was in upper high school. So my parents were always looking for local flavor. They're looking for local restaurants. And so that was also a part of my fabric. And I, I do that with my kiddos too. That there's a huge, you know, it, I come from a non-farming family, but there is this value and this emphasis placed on the people who grow food for you and who prepare food for you. And so they called that being a food pioneer, um, where we would have to try new food. And if we didn't like it, we didn't have to eat it, but we at least have to try it. So, I mean, eating sushi, eating different ethnic foods, traveling across the country. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, so... <laughs> But you see that you, you, you've had this, you, this is your part of your DNA. I mean, this is your life and I don't want to go yet. I don't want to get ahead of the gun here, but this really builds on where you're headed for now. So Mm -hmm. it does. I'm not going to. It does. So I had every intention of going to the closest university, which was Kansas University, home of the Jayhawks. That was um, the area in Kansas that I grew up. But um, I applied for all the state colleges and I actually received um, a a big scholarship to Kansas State University, K-State Ag College. 
to go to school for leadership. And it's so funny because this was 20 years ago and beginning that dating process. Um, and I, you know, no, it was like, why would somebody give you a, a scholarship for leadership? Um, there's a good reason why. So I ended up at Kansas State University and I studied a lot of different things. I worked full-time jobs, as you can only imagine. And so um, I ended up getting a degree in social science of diversity and, and, and the topics changed in the last 20 years of, of what I got my undergrad in versus right. what it looks like now. Um, but I really, I studied a lot of different things. I've always been interested and curious in a lot of different things. And so um, after, after college, I got a, I got a job in hospitality as a franchise consultant. I was a director of training for a restaurant company who was trying to um, take their small concept and, and make it a national chain. So I actually got to help out with that. And once again, we're back to food. And I have, that was Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is, this is me serving people and this is me continuing to honor nourishing people and feeding people. Now, what I will tell you is I knew nothing about how the food got there. It got, it came on a truck, right? Yeah. So yeah. I didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle at that point, but I, I figured something out pretty quickly. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. I mean, I did not, I did not realize all of this past history. That's why I do this. I want people to understand uh, what makes you tick. And this is, this is really good. So, um, okay. So you're out of college. You, you, you were with this regional type company. Mm -hmm. uh, then what's next? So I fell in love with an agronomist. Ah, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I sold him a restaurant. You sold him a restaurant. Uh-huh. And it was the most expensive date. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, you had no idea. You didn't know about that, did you, Rick? No, no, I didn't know that either. So, so, so you stiffed Shannon with a restaurant. Yeah, I did. And, uh -huh. and praise the Lord, we sold our ownership in 2018 before COVID and we were kind of sad. So we bought it. So uh, we transacted in 2005. So from 2005 to 2018, we're involved. We were not operational during that time period. Um, I've been operational. I've started, I've actually opened multiple restaurants in my lifetime. And I'll tell you all, all about that too. But um it was, it was a blessing in disguise when we were able to sell our, our partnership out from that. We, at the time we were like, oh, this is, you know, this isn't what we thought it was going to be, but looking back, you know, they, and they, the restaurant's still open. It's still thriving. Um, it's been amazing. So I met him as an agronomist and I didn't know what agronomy was. I had no idea. I actually didn't even know that the profession of agronomy existed. And I went to K-State for four and a half years I knew nothing about K-State um, Ag School. So and he, it's an Ag School. Yeah, oh yeah, it's an Ag School. I, I was yeah. like completely unaffiliated. So I was so in love that he invited me to like, we, we actually like within six weeks, um, you know, decided that we were gonna be together forever. And so he invited me to move to Pratt, Kansas, USA. And, you know, Google, that was a long time ago. I didn't Google it. I didn't know where I was headed. I knew it was near Wichita, Kansas, and I knew it was a small town, but I, I literally like jumped in my little Volkswagen Jetta and drove out to the country. And I was like, holy smokes, I just moved to a teeny tiny town. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, th this sounds like uh, we, I'm from Indiana and we live in Indiana and we live in a county that it's the only county in the state of Indiana where there's not a red, yellow, green traffic light. That's how oh, wow. our yeah. place is. This sounds yeah. like where you're at. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, you yeah, I and you missed the turn type thing. I was living in Lincoln, Nebraska, which to me was a big city. I was, I had like a studio apartment, you know, I was working for this big company. I had a, had a company car, do, just doing the boss, boss lady thing. Right. And I fall in love and I decided to move to Pratt, Kansas, USA. And it's a, it's a, a beautiful place. Um, trees don't really exist in that part of Kansas very well. So the wind blows all the time, but, um, I mean, once I did that, I, I knew that that was going to be my, my life. And I knew that I could either, I, I guess I thought I would find a job similar to what I was doing. And as it turned out, I, I just didn't. And so I was able to put my time into learning more about agriculture, but I have to back up. I have to tell you another story. Um, so during this time period, when I was opening restaurants, I, and I found myself back in Lawrence, Kansas, and I um, was working with a developer and I opened up a Japanese restaurant and I worked for this man who was a healer and he was the culinary healer. And he taught okay. me that food was medicine. And it's kind of a, a long story, but he had hired me to be his opening manager. So my job was to onboard staff, train staff, and basically prepare his business to run. Um, so that's what I did. And what I learned from Koji-san is that um, food can either heal you or it can harm you and that you have to understand your body, um, to be able to do that. And I seriously have so many stories. I, so many tangents I could go off on, on the food as medicine side of things, but through learning Koji and learning that I knew this industry, I knew the food industry, but there's parts of the food industry that didn't heal our bodies. And that was actually bad for our bodies. So if you were sick, you didn't call in for work. If you were sick, you called in and Koji would assess you. And he would either take like herbs and different spices and put it in a bowl of hot water. And then you'd stick your face over it and he'd drape, drape a towel over you. And you would either like heal or he would send you home for rest. I mean, he never worked wow. you if you were sick, but he would, he would try to heal you first. It, it, it sounds to me like just someone with a higher power has had has had uh, this laid out for you. I mean, to meet all of these people you've talked about, isn't mm -hmm. that crazy? It is. I My father died when I was 19 of colon cancer. And oh. so when I was 24, I had I realized that I had some of his same genetic issues. And so Koji looked at me when I first met him and he pinpointed my issue. He knew the issue that I had just by looking at me yep. and like, and like looking at, at like my skin and my face and, and everything, he said, you're full of inflammation, Jessica. Yeah. We, we, my, my wife, Carol and I have, have located a, a, a holistic chiropractor in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Same thing. He, yeah. when you walk in the door, he can tell what, what's wrong by, by just being around you. And then, then you sit down with an hour conversation and you really go deep and then it just it's just amazing what comes out of these these conversations it is amazing and i'm gonna skip around that we we met a farmer in greensburg kansas who also could do applied kinesiology 
and he had a clinic and he could, he could do something similar. And he connected really well with my husband. And he looked at my husband in the eyes, just, just shook his hand, met him. And then something came out of his mouth. That was an issue that my husband was dealing with. And, and it was just like, and so I, what, what I think this is, Rick, is I think that the world has vibrational frequencies that we've all forgotten about, right? Like when our babies are young, they, their instinct is to take their shoes off and to run in the ground. And I always said that my kids' feet were like tires because they could run over gravel and they could run over, you know, yeah. rocks and they were jumping on railroad ties and it never, they never, it never hurt them. Um, and so getting back to those vibrational frequencies that the, the earth has provided for us, I think that's, that's a big picture topic. Yeah. I, there's so many, you know, there's so many things that, that the folks on this regenerative movement, what, you know, there's so many things I love about it. It's, it's community, it's camaraderie, but, but it's also laying everything out, out, you know, opening your, your whole soul up and laying it out on the stage or a podcast or, or whatever the case may be. And, and then we can really learn not only the good things, but also the, the, the things that, that are, are stumbling blocks. Yeah. And it's just incredible the path that you've been on when you stop. And you know what? I think if, if people would slow down and, and maybe get out a piece of paper and think back, how did your, how did your life go? And what got you to where you are today? You might be surprised at the nudges you got along the way of guy, you know, we're not going to go over here. I want you to come. I want you to go this way over here. Same thing mm -hmm. we're doing with this, with this farming that we're doing. So uh, great stuff, Jess. I love it. Yeah. I mean, the transparency is key and, and things haven't always gone right. And I think um, blowing out my knee and basically the universe grounding me was also reminding me to be transparent and to be human. You yeah. know, we've done some really amazing things. We've been able to be a part of some really amazing, like global initiatives. And, and so I, I do feel like that was a reset. I've had multiple resets in my life. Meeting Koji-san at the Japanese restaurant was a major reset. It, it made me realize I do what goes in your body and on your body matters. Yeah. Um, but okay. So then I did that. I did, um, the, the Japanese restaurant and then I actually went back to Pratt with my, and then I got married, my husband and I got married and, um, we had, we wanted to have a baby right away. So I got pregnant and we were looking to buy a house out in the country. So we, we had had our first home, we put it up for sale and it sold really quickly. And so we needed to have a rental house. So our real estate agent, had a rental house that she was renovating. And she's like, I don't really know if you guys want to live here. It's there's some stuff going on. And my husband was like, we really need a place to live. Cause it, like, there was no housing in this town. There was literally no place to live. And, um, he goes, well, let us live here. You guys can still do construction on it and I'll help you get the yard put back together. So it was an older home. Uh, it, was, it was just a cute bungalow, two bedroom bungalow. Um, you know, so, I, I knew that I wanted to have a garden. I knew that I wanted to have that connection to the earth. Even if it was a rental, we had told this, this lady that we would plant some, some perennials and stuff like that. So I came home from work one day, kicked my shoes off, pregnant, big old belly. And I had bought all these bulbs and different things. And I spent all this time in the front yard, got them all planted because my husband had loosened up the soil for me. And I got home. And when my husband got home, he goes, what'd you do today? I was like, oh, I got all that stuff planted. And his face went white. And I said, what? 
And he goes, I wished you would have told me. And I thought he was just being gentlemanly, like he didn't want me pregnant out there doing it. And he said, no, I bombed the yard before I went to work this morning. So I don't know what he used, but he had used, he had done a complete kill in the front yard and he's an agronomist. So, you know, he probably had some stuff that could get a pretty decent burn down. So he had done that that same day. And then I went out there with my shoes off and and so I would say that was a big moment. Um, he didn't really, I didn't understand what he was talking about. Cause I was like, well, we wouldn't have these chemicals if they weren't safe. Like why, what's the big deal. And right. he, he ended up spending the entire night reading every single MSDS. He was pulling labels. He was doing Google searches. I mean, it, it affected him big time, yeah. big time. Yeah. I can. Yeah, and see, with you not ever growing up around that, you you had no idea that Mm-mm. that anything could be harmful out there. It's just it's amazing. Yeah, wow. So, what did anything come about of that that you know of? Not that we know of. I mean, that's my twelve year old son. He's he's great, highly intelligent, but we definitely have that concern. He did have um, he did have a an issue after he was born that kind of accelerated, um, this idea of what goes in your body and what goes on your body matters. So he had, he had a reaction when he was about four months old and he was briefly hospitalized. Um, very scary. I do think that we fully recovered from it. I don't think there's any lasting effect, but that's what took me to organic. And I decided at that point that by that, by that time we had bought a small homestead, we had seven and a half acres. Um, at that point I was so in, I said, I'm going to grow my food. I know how to have a garden married to an agronomist, you know, like we're going to do this. And when we, when we purchased the new place, we decided to be chemical free. So, and if this is a, this is a conventional 20,000 acre a year crop consultant who basically said, we're going to buy this house and there's going to be hen bit in the front yard every year. Like, that's good. and he always joked, he's like, this is really bad for business. And we did like that. We did have people that would drive by and be like, Hey, you know, you need me to come spray your yard. Yeah. Um, but we did it. So for 10 years, we had a natural landscape. There was a, a, like full disclosure. He, he liked straight lines So he he'd run some, some roundup on the, the driveway, the gravel driveway, you know, full disclosure, but, uh, that's the only way to get the straight lines. <laughs> sure. Well, let, let, let's just, if you don't mind, let's stay right here where we are. Um, so let's let everybody know who Shannon works for. And okay. let, let me know what kind of struggles. I mean, is there is there struggle with what he's doing and what you're trying to do or, or just, just let's talk through it. Yeah. So this is great. So, so my, uh, after, after college, my husband and his college buddies formed a company, um, called crop vision. There was, uh, three of them. And then they added a few partners as years went on. And so for 17 years, we had a crop consulting business in South central, Southwestern Kansas, um, managed a, a lot of acres and it was a lot of, uh, you know, center pivot irrigation, uh, type stuff. And, and so as we, you know, as we had the incident with the yard and then as we watched my son 
have some issues. One of his partner's um, wife became highly interested in organic agriculture. And that was kind of the beginning of it. And it was funny because she, she was the first one that was kind of talking about it. And she, people, people really kind of mocked her. They're like, well, it's never going to work. And I remember we were at a birthday party and somebody called it a voodoo. They're like, oh, it's just hippie. It's voodoo, you know, organics never going to be a thing, but she was convinced that feeding her kid organic was healthier for their gut. And so when I got pregnant, she's, she gave me a book and she's like, you know, just think about it. So, so that's the path we took. I think over time, as I started to ask a lot of questions about, well, why don't we farm organically and, and tell me more about these commodity crops and, and, you know, uh, 20, 2012, we had a, a major drought and, but, but yet we would have all of these stacks of corn everywhere, um, laying on the ground year after year after year, they'd just get bigger and bigger. And so, um, so that coupled with heavy irrigation was really weighing on his mind and, and, you know, he was, we were living in one world, but yet operating a business kind of in another world. Yeah. And so he was highly yeah. motivated to, to do something different. Um, I have to mention this, our, our partner, his partner, um, 13 years ago that his wife, um, went down the organic journey. He took his life and it was very, very hard for wow. all of us. It took, it took a long time for us to, to like figure out what that was about and why. And wow. he was, he was a big strapping man, six foot eight, um, everybody loved him life of the party. And so it was such a shock to us, but at the time, I, I don't know, knowing what I know now and, and, and listening to how food is medicine and there is a crisis in the farming community, there's an economic crisis, there's a social crisis. So, yeah, I mean, we've, that's, that's a fabric of our story too. It's just seeing that. So I think having that experience, it was like, how can we actually make changes? Are we capable of making yeah. situations better so that we don't have this happen to anybody else in our lives. Yeah. There's so much emphasis put on, on the almighty dollar uh, yield. All of these things seem to be so important for a farmer's success, you know? And yes, I know we have to have money to pay the bills, mm -hmm. I understand. but there has to be a line drawn somewhere where enough is enough. And let's start, let's start thinking about human health. Let's start thinking about soil health and let's start thinking about healing this planet up. So this is very, very refreshing. Um, gosh, the journey you've been on, it's really, you are doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. But I, it, it's so crazy though, because, you know, I've dealt with like insecurities over it too. Like, well, what's somebody going to think if I stand up and ask a question or what's, and I think part of it yeah. just came out of curiosity. And then as I've gotten older, I'm like, did I really just like raise my hand and ask? It's like the elephant in the wall question. It's like, well, everybody wanted to know that that question, but nobody was man right. enough to ask it. That's right. You weren't the only one with that <laughs> thought. Probably not. Probably so not. Yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and over time, you know, I met renegades like yourself that had no problem taking the time and, and helping me understand the question. Like, um, that's kind of what happened is I, I drank the Kool-Aid 
before my husband. And so I was, I was actually, I would, he was real busy and it was, it was hard to get information from your wife. You know, that wasn't really the pathway that you were. So I'd write him these emails. This was like 2015, 2016, and I'd come up with a, a, a topic or something. And so I would just research it on the internet. I'd be like, my Chrysler fungi, this is what it is. This is the internet of the soil. And did you know that it exists? And when we till, we're breaking down the soil aggregates and the soil structure and all this stuff. So I'd send that and he'd be like, thank you for that information. You know, that was cute. Anyway, he in, met in one ear, out the other. <laughs> No, he's always been open-minded. It's always been great. But um, he met Chris Nichols finally and listened to her presentation. And he was like texting me like crazy. He's like, she's amazing. You know, uh, did you know about my Chrysler fungi? Did you know? And I was like, yeah, I, <laughs> I did, yeah. but it, but it, you don't, it's just like your parents trying to tell you something when you're younger, you don't take information from the people you're closest to. It's, it's almost like an external source has to, has to help you out. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's so cool though, that, I mean, here, you know, think back to what, Shannon was doing and it you know I I don't know what all if they were if they were still tilling or I don't know anything yes. about that but yeah heavy heavy tillage yeah heavy tillage and yeah. just to change that mindset that that that's what's the hard part just to think about doing something different well we had to do it ourselves though um we had the opportunity to farm about 150 acres um of dry land in uh in Pratt County and so he decided that that was going to be his boots on the ground because he had a program that he was very successful at, but to start to make changes, it's also hard if you don't have skin in the game, um, yeah. to make those changes. So we, we actually, I remember, um, I don't have the details, but I do remember our first cover crop was a failure. Um, we didn't understand, we didn't understand how to balance the cover crop. We just really put something out, you know, just to see what would happen yeah. over time. It's flourished into a regenerative system. We have a tenant that farms 7,000 acres around us. And I'm so, I'm so proud that he's been working on this for about 12 years. He got cover crops on 100% of 7,000 acres last year, um, it, we've come so far. Wow, we've come so far, and he uses a Hagee interseeder. You know, he's able to get stuff out on the corn. Um, he's he's got grazing on a good portion of those acres, and so he does our 150. And you know, it was a he was a catalyst for us, not the other way around. He was willing to make changes and, and yeah. do stuff big, so it was it was pretty powerful. That's awesome. So tell me. What's the range? Just rainfall in the there. I lost you. Did you say? Here we just. Go again. Rachel, did you hear him? Did he talk about? Did he talk about rainfall? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I don't know if he was talking about rainfall. Maybe he was talking about soil types. Oh, like back? range of crops. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Hey, hey, Jess, can you hear yep. me? I can. Okay. You're good. Um, I was curious on amount of rainfall. Where do you uh, Gosh, I want maybe 22, 24 inches in some 22. parts. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's not terrible, but it's not like where I'm at. I mean, where I'm at is 38 to 40 yeah. inches. So yeah. big, big difference. Big, big, difference. big difference. And the timeliness, like, it, you know, getting the winter moisture is key. And we haven't been getting that the last few winters. You know, we haven't been getting the, the snowfall or anything like that. So. Right. Yeah. Well, I, two or three years. so I'll give you some context to our area. Um, the, the area that we were at, I consider tornado alley. There's this area that kind of comes up from Oklahoma through Kansas and it's where a lot of heavy tillage exists and a lot of, um, you know, some of the, the dust bowl type era stuff. And so when radar came out on our phones, once again, dating myself, you could, you could sit there and watch the radar and you could see the, the rain systems come to this particular area and it would split those fields and then it would reform. Um, I always say it always reform up at our very, our buddy Darren Unruh's house. Cause he he'd get 30 inches of rain. And so I think that there's, this is just a mom's observation that there's, there's definitely something with that tornado alley. There's been so many tornadoes in that area. There's whole towns that have been wiped away um, because of tornadoes. So that's, that's the area that this, you know, this whole thing began for us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think, I, I don't know if it's because we get older or if there's just more people paying attention now, but I mean, we start to see on social media, we'll see video clips of just the wind blowing and yeah. the dust that you can't see, you can't see a hundred yards in front of you. The dust is so bad. It is. So, and, and, you know, Kansas is desertifying. One of the first pieces that I wrote professionally was about desertification in Kansas and it never went anywhere. Like nobody wanted to touch it. You know, uh, the, the dry line is shifted 140 miles through the state of Kansas oh, yeah. that, yeah. So, so it is happening. It's happening rapidly, rapidly. We're seeing dust storms. Um, we've moved since, so we, two years ago, we moved to the, the other part of the state where we get a lot more rain, but it's, it's a real factor And Kansas is running out of water in the Western portion of the state that relies on the Ogallala. So we yeah. need to have these practices and we need to make big sweeping changes. Yeah. And, you know, let's talk about that real quick, because I think the water is lost in this talk a lot. I mean, yeah. everyone wants to talk about carbon and the sequestration of carbon and all this, but let's talk about, you know, water management, the quality of water. I mean, if I was a municipality that, that required on, you know, was needing the water to, to give the community, I would be very concerned how the farming is being done in my watershed. And oh, absolutely. I think we talk about that. Enough. So give us your thoughts on what you think about that. I think that was part of the transition, the thought process, the mindset shift that happened for us is that um, watching the the irrigated circles and the concept that, uh, hey, Christy, uh, Christy and I just had a podcast and we talked about the same thing. Um, this idea that in Kansas, there is, there is this mindset of like, well, I'm allocated this much water, I'm going to use it. Well, don't use it if you don't need to, or if you've got this center pivot and, and, you know, you've got the corn up and you've got water left, do a cover crop, get your cover crop going. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways that we can think about this. Um, but water is key. That's why the, 
the, the group that I help manage, we have a partner, which is the Kansas Alliance for Wetlands and Streams, and they're kind of more on the environmental side that have been doing this water quality work. And what needs to happen is we need to merge the farming community into these conversations. You know, yeah. um, we need to close the loop. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, uh, Christy Apple's on. Hi, Christy. Thank you for your comments. Um, it's it, we just don't think about, you know, the first thing you, people want to say when we get these big five and six inch rain events is that we have the, all this flooding occurring and we, we need to build the infrastructure to get this surface water away. That's not that's not the issue here. Build soil health and increase the infiltration rates and then there won't be the surface runoff that then creates every river and stream to flood. Now, yeah. I can't say that as 100%, but you could greatly reduce the amount of that, that surface flooding water. You know, when I started to really think that maybe something I could do could be helpful, um, I one of the first topics I learned about besides the mycorrhizal is um, the water cycle. And I joined in 2017, Ray Archuleta put a Facebook post that said, you should read the book, uh, Kiss the Ground. And so I read it. And then 2018, another post came up that said, you can become a soil advocate. And I think in my mind, you know, I'd, I'd had a bunch of kids by then and I knew that I needed to do something, but I didn't feel adequate. I didn't have, you know, I, I you know, I wasn't going to go get a degree or be a yeah, Walter Yenny. Yes, I, I know Walter. I've met Walter <laughs> in person. So uh, I when I took this course, I understood what was happening with the radiant heat from the tilled field. So like I understood that we were creating this situation where it couldn't rain because rain starts from the ground up with the right. small water cycle. When we don't have living plants, when we're not photosynthesizing, we're not doing that. And so not only did I take this course and I realized I didn't, I, all I had to be was me. That's all I had to be. I just had to do what I do and do what's in my skill set. Um, and once I learned about the small water cycle, I was the first one to be like, Hey, do you know about the small water cycle? Well, guess what? You know? So I would just tell anybody that wanted to know about the small water cycle. And yes, Ed, I got to meet Walter at Gail Fuller's, um, couple years ago, spent two days, uh, with Walter and he wow. changed my, he changed my life. I still, I have, if anybody that's known me or has been to a conference, I'm a note taker. I love to take notes and I'll take notes for you and I'll send them to you because that's how I learn. I'm a very visual, um, learner. So I have a whole notebook on two days with Walter, just with things that I drew and things that I learned. And I'm just, I'm, I am the soil sponge, you know, the soil carbon sponge right now. I'm getting all this information. Yeah. And, you know, Jess, I, I, I list, I've listened your whole story here and I think about, about my story and we've been very blessed at meeting the right people at the right time or getting that nudge of a text message or a phone call of someone you thought might not ever call you yeah, and, and, and kind of move you in a direction. Isn't that, isn't that, crazy how that works well and it's funny too about it I over the years I didn't realize how thick my skin would have to be and I still struggle with that I still struggle of like you know I'm gonna is this gonna shake the book or the boat and and it's hard when it's family and so we 
we've actually had situations where it's taken about a decade for people to understand. Initially, people thought that I, you know, the work I was doing was against the farmer. I was like, no, 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 this is actually like, this is, this is the opposite of that. And so watching different people come around, even if it takes 10 years, you know, that's all you can do is you can plant the concepts and the ideas and, and see what flourishes. And we can't be, we can't be Bible beaters about it. Like, uh, you know, uh, Rick, we were talking about this whole regenerative organic and I, I spent two days at this conference and it was structured in such a way where it's a hundred percent panels. Nobody was like lecturing. Nobody was giving you their Ted talk. Nobody was giving you like their zingers. Um, it was the most effective communication for education I've ever had. And, and so the people that put that on, it was green cover. They, they know, they understand that we're in that phase of educating in this movement. Now, now that that right there is going to change the way you look at at conferences from now on. It is. You know, it already has. We, 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 yeah, I was part of the, the big soil health event. That, no slight talk. That right there changed a lot of people's attitudes and mine to where we're going to just speak from the heart and from the soul and, and we're going to try to do a little more teaching than, than showing slides. So I I think that's great. That's just great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good to have that mix. Um, I think if people can see you as real, I think that makes a big difference, you know, and, and I'm actually like, I'm really open on this call because I feel like I know you and, and it, to me, it's just like me, me talking to Rick and Rachel, you know, um, but I'm, I'm usually pretty guarded about this whole story. There's definitely been ups and downs in the whole situation. There's been, you know, health issues. There's been, there's been a lot of stuff. So I don't want to paint this picture of like, then the next great thing happened. And then this great thing happened, you know, like there's, there's a lot in between. <laughs> oh, it's the same thing. I try to describe in, in my presentations, look folks, this isn't all, I think I say, uh, uh, candy canes and lollipops. There's a yeah. lot of trials and tribulations along the way. A lot. Yeah, there are. There are for sure. Yeah. Why? Well, I, uh, I, I want to congratulate you on an award you just recently received, um, the 2021 Emerging Leaders in Food and Ag Award winner. One, I think it was one of ten. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Thank you. What an honor. What an honor. Tell us a little bit about the organization, what they're doing, and how did you get to this point to be one of the 10? Yes. Um, so it's kind of funny because the, the process takes like eight or nine months. So I actually knew about it um, last summer. And so once you get nominated, so somebody will nominate you. Okay. Uh, pretty simple process. And then they come to you and they say that you're being considered for this. And then I give them kind of a narrative of what it means to me. And I, I actually still have that, um, you know, what I wrote and it was real similar to kind of what I've talked to you about, about how, um, understanding that everybody has a different skill set that they can play in any, in any industry, any movement, any sort of social impact that we can make um, that you use the skills that you have. And so then there was, there was also kind of like a weird voting thing 
on Facebook. So the, the organization itself, I believe is affiliated with what does RFSI stand for? I, you know, I should know this and I should Google it. I'm not sure. It's like regenerative finance. Somebody might know this. Um, I just got an email from them earlier today. Uh, raising regenerative, regenerative ag and food investment. So anyway, it's a couple groups that, that are together and they're just looking to identify um, people that are doing things. In my wildest dreams, I wouldn't have ever thought that what, what we're doing <laughs> needs recognition. I mean, for me, it was always that there was a job that somebody needed to do. And I said, okay, well, I could do that for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're being too humble here. I mean, this is quite an honor to be one of these 10 recipients of this award. So uh, congratulations. Now, now, what do they expect you to do something? I mean, are you supposed to do something for, for here? I think that, um, so if, it, if this were not COVID, we would have all gotten to meet um, in Boulder and there was a conference associated with it. Um, so I don't know if they'll do anything for the next year, but because of COVID, um, it was a digital situation. And Robin O'Brien was the kind of the presenter of the award. And it was, it was like five days after my knee surgery. So I remember just sitting in my bed, uh, with my laptop and just like tears coming down down my face because I was like, ah, you know, this is, this is big, but, but there's so much more to this story, Rick. Like, uh, the organic thing is real passionate. I have a, a family member who has had uh, sickness from organophosphate toxicity, and that activated the mama bear in me that was like hell or high water. We're going to change things. And I don't care how we have to do it, but we're going to, we're going to tell this story. We're going to help people understand that there's a human uh, tragedy that's going on in our rural communities and our farming communities. Um, so, so I, I just, I think I would just want to take the, the whole message back to that. I didn't, I mean, I didn't just wake up and decide to do this. I think I did a lot of this out of necessity. I think um, it started when you were a fifth grader. It sounds to me like yeah, <laughs> something like that. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a, yeah, there's times when I'm like, why couldn't I have just been an accountant, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you like the, you, you'll, you like the challenge here much better. Yeah. <laughs> well, the uh, biggest thing that I, the biggest thing that I did was the Soul Help You. So I got asked in 2018 to start helping out with Soul Help You in Kansas. And yeah. then my predecessor in that job passed away. And so they, they asked me, they're like, do you think that you can be the director of this? And I was like, let's do it. Let's figure it out. And I think that's my skill set is, is charting a path that doesn't exist, whether it was building out restaurant concepts or, or, you know, homesteading or whatever is just kind of figuring it out. I do have a short attention span. I do like, I get distracted by shiny, you know, I'm like, Oh, what's going on over here? What's going on over here? Yeah. Why, uh, I, again, I want to let the folks know that, that uh, Carol and I are traveling through the beautiful state of Utah here. And I'm going to pan over here in just a moment. The, the scenery is unreal. And if hang on just a second, Jess, get a drink, take a breath. Uh, look at these. Uh, isn't that something? 
Oh, wow. That's gorgeous. Yeah. It's just beautiful. So, um, so let's get back to what we were on. So I, you know, I, there's so much, there's so much about, about this notion of human health and soil health. And we're really starting to come into this. And I want you to now talk a little bit. I know we've kind of touched on it, skipped around it two or three times here, but, but where do you think, where do you think we're going to need to be with, with our, not only the way we raise the food, but the whole food uh, industry from farmer through the shipper and the packager Mm -hmm. all the way to the consumer. I mean, what, see i mean this is a serious this is a huge undertaking in my opinion to kind of get some of this straightened out a little bit so how do you how do you see that yeah that's really interesting so you know i we moved to pratt i was there for 10 years in a small town small farming community of about six thousand people and when i enrolled my kid for kindergarten um you know there's a list of food allergies in the school and they have a wall of EpiPens so that if a kid has a, a food reaction, um, they don't, they don't die. They don't asphyxiate and die. And so we would have to, it got to the point where parents couldn't even bring outside food. Uh, there was limited reasons for that. Um, you know, you'd have to have labels and all this other stuff. And it was because of all of these food allergies that these kids were they were skin allergies, and there's all these things. Now, this is really interesting because I moved to the town of Manhattan, which is on the other part of the state. Um, it's a big 6A, you know, one of the biggest high schools in, in state, you know, it's a college town. Yeah. So when I enrolled my kids in this school, I asked, what are the food allergies? What can't we bring? And they looked at me like I had two heads and they're like, yeah. we don't have kids with food allergies. You can bring whatever you want to. I was like, not even peanuts. And they're like, well, no, I mean, not in this classroom, you're fine. So explain to me why the rural schools, you know, what's going on here? Why are these, why are our babies reacting to food? Why are they, you know, why is this happening? And so um, I think that, that we have to understand that an apple isn't an apple the way that it used to be, that the apple that um, you and I probably ate as kiddos, it's, it's lost its nutrient density. Dan Kittredge Bionutrient Food Association has a ton of information to back this up. Don't take my word for it. But right. as a mom, I instinctively know that, uh, that nourishing my kids is key and they're not getting it. You know, the school district up here had a farm to school program before COVID hit. My kids loved eating school lunches. They're eating salads. Okay. All of that went away. It's, it's, like prison food. So we need to value food. We need to value food production. We have to understand um, where it comes from. It's going to take all of us. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, I don't, I don't know. You, you, you asked me earlier, it's like, what's on your mind. I've been in this really weird spot where I've, I've been doing a lot of reflection and I'm like, okay, like, are we turning the tide? What, what, a had a friend tell me about trim, is it trim tabs? Like the teeny tiny part of the ship that you can just nudge a little bit that makes yeah. a big sweeping change. Like where, where is that? How can we adjust that trim tab to, to make big sweeping changes? So I think right. the work you're doing, Rick is key. I think, you know, people like Christy and, um, you know, are, are the medical profession, they know this, 
whether or not they were trained in it or whether or not they, they practice it. Um, you know, we just went through a global pandemic, right? (laughs) Why did the United States fare so much worse than, than other countries? I mean, I don't want to get into all of that, but we have got to, these changes have to be made. Um, I, I worry for my kids. So, and let's, but, you know, it was like I was saying earlier, I mean, this is more than just a, we got to get cover crops grown on every acre. Yeah. I mean, this is a whole food chain. I mean, this is everywhere from ground zero through to the grocery store where the consumers buying their product. And if you stop and think about that industry, it's massive. And there's a lot yeah. of players have to get on board. And we need more folks like you, Jess, that are trying to connect the farmer to that end consumer or get to the people in the middle, find those regenerative outlets for this, these crops that we're trying to raise, because that's the next thing, you know, yeah, out here and, and all day long, but if we don't get a premium for all, sometimes what's the point, unless you're trying to truly be wholesome to human health and soil health. And that's what we try to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because two years ago, Rick, you and I were just talking in a fishbowl, you know, three years ago, people thought we were a little nutty four years ago, you know, there was none of this was happening. Well, now, holy smokes. Yes. You know, all all the stuff that we've been wishing for and praying for is happening and it's here. Um, So, you know, we've got to monitor and verify we've got we've got to prove what we're doing. We've got to uh, break down barriers. You know, uh, one of the biggest barriers is lack of trusted advisement. It's those agronomists, you know, it's the certified crop advisors. Um, it's folks like that. We need everybody at the table having an open and honest discussion. You know, uh, my husband actually heard you talk a number of years ago, same thing, called me up. He's like, this guy is legit. He's got the checkbook open. He's showing you the finances He's not bullshitting anybody on any aspect of what's real. And we need more of that. We absolutely need more of that. Well, thank you, Shannon. I appreciate that. (laughs) But, you know, let's, you know, Jess, when you think about, okay, let's, let's, let's get all this going. Let's, you know, rah, 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 whatever. But the reality of this right now at this point in time is there's not enough cover crop seed to cover a huge amount of acres and there's not enough teachers out there to teach the the beginners on how to be successful at this so mm-hmm. we have to figure out how to ramp this up how do you start to get more of the green cover seeds of the world raising more cover crops you know they got to go out and contract acres uh where do you see you know where does this happen are we at the government level do we need to convince the uh, Secretary of Ag, or what do you think? Oh my gosh, that's a loaded question. I mean, yeah, it's all the above. We've got to do all of that. Um, we're having conversations now behind the scenes, and I know you are too, with groups that we I never thought would be asking these questions. But the, the right. thing is, is that the time is already here because as far as agriculture, we've done some beautiful, amazing things. We've been able to feed a growing population. We've been able to um, increase production. Now there are things that are not changing. We've got resistant weed pressure. 
that's not going to go away. We have a changing climate that is always been unpredictable, but even more so now. So, I mean, I think, uh, I don't know, is it, I, 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 if you'd asked, if you'd asked me to prepare for this question, I probably would have came up with a different answer. I mean, is it in the consumer realm? I mean, is it important that we help the consumer understand what it is they're asking for? You know, when, when I started having all my babies and I realized how big my food budget was going to be because I was buying local beef, I was buying local groceries. I was growing stuff in my own backyard. This is a funny story, but I, my husband had bought me a really nice Dodge Ram uh, Laramie. And I came to him one day and I was like, we need to sell the truck. And he's like, why? And I go, because I want to basically quadruple our food budget. And, and I've actually bought two deep freezers. Um, and, and I, I was kind of a homestead pantry, make my own baby food type mama, but I knew the only way I was going to do that. So he bought me um, this cute little, you know, sedan car that I had 300,000 miles on it and I paid cash for it, but I had to, I had to completely regenerate my whole thought process and how I spent my money. So that was, that was over 12 years ago. Um, uh, I don't drive that little sedan anymore, but, um, but that's, that's, that's what I had to go through. I don't know. That's such a big question. Um, it's, everything has to change. I guess I'm really passionate about the certified crop advisor, you know, Jerry Hatfield and I, have been talking a lot about, um, you know, how can we, how can we get events that are CCA certified that are helping crop advisors, um, go down this path of either getting sustainability emphasis or just learning more about soil health. So I work pretty closely with that organization in the state of Kansas, every single, um, event that I do, I always go through the CCA. I get the credits. Even when we did digital soul help you, we got CCA credits for those CEUs. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So I, you know, I, yeah, I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot, Rick. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> well, I know that's what I mean. There's so much that, that has to, that, like you said, we've got to get all these groups at the same table, you know? And then yeah. here's another thing that, that kind of, I, I kind of pound on when I speak out in public is I don't, I, as far as I know, and you would know this better than I would, but correct me if I'm wrong here, there's not a definition of mm-hmm. regenerative farm. See, really man, a couple. Okay, you're kind of cutting out. I'm going to go with the whole regenerative ag definition. A couple of years ago, I would have came up with this like great flowing, flowery rainbows and butterflies. Like I would have something ready for you and I'd be like, this is what it is. Now, as I'm seeing all this come to play, I'm, I'm really thinking that it's, it's so many things on so many different levels. Um, listening to what the regenerative organic does, they don't, I, I had a lot of misconceptions about that going into that label and, um, understanding that they, they actually certify your entire operation, not just a field or not just a crop. Um, so let's see an open source platform would really help have a farmer to farmer discussion and info site. Ed, that's, that's really key, but, but yeah, Rachel, um, I think we lost Rick, but 
I struggle with what the definition is uh, of regenerative. And I, I don't know, like, who's going to put it out? Do we want the government to put something like this out? I, I think probably not. Yeah. Do we want a company? I think a company would probably screw it up somehow. You know, uh, should it come from the farmers? Probably. So I don't know. I see so many companies trying to come to the table and try to be a part of this conversation and they'll reach out to the nonprofit that I run. And, you know, one of my first questions is, do you have an, a farmer advisory panel? Do you have somebody on your board of directors that's a farmer that can help you with, with these questions? And, and almost, almost nine times out of 10, they don't. Yeah. Well, and until I feel like it's hard for, for people to really know um, and to give their two cents until they've kind of been there and they've done it. I mean, I feel like that's why it's mm-hmm. so important to get these farmers on um, these different boards and things, because they're the ones who have, who have done it. They're the ones who are farming this way. They know what's going to work, what's not going to work, what's feasible. So, yeah. Ed says Bear and Gates are already stealing and changing regenerative. You know, I mean, it's, we do have a couple tools, you know, we've got the regenerative organic, we've got the, um, uh, the soil regen, uh, uh, regen verified that is matching it with soil testing. Um, so we can back that up. We have strong science and we have, um, professionals that are doing that. So, so yeah, Rick, we're just kind of talking about what we need what regenerative needs to be able to, to make this a thing. So, I mean, I do think labels are a part of it. I think labels are still in the wild West though. I mean, it's going to be interesting to watch and see what, what, what happens with, with labels. Oh, you're on mute. (laughs) I finally get to say that to somebody. Usually it's me. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Rachel, thank you for helping out there. Appreciate that. Sorry, folks. I cut out. Yeah, that was, that, that, there's so many things that, but, you know, we can't give up. We've got to, you, you, you're not, you're never going to get anywhere unless you take that first step. So uh, just, I love what you're doing. Um, I don't know how much more service I'm going to have, Jess, but okay. the, one, <laughs> one, one of the last things I want to ask you is tell us who some of your mentors have been, or maybe still are. And, and what do you, you know, what do you see for the, the near future, two, three, four years out with it? Yeah. Um, as far as mentors go, I mean, the, I'm a visual things pop into my head as pictures. Dr. Liz Haney is a big mentor of mine. She's been a part of my formation for a long time. Um, also Dr. Trisha Jackson, she is a, uh, soil scientist that I met in Pratt and her and I actually started a farmer's market together, uh, long story. And I remember looking at her in 2017 and I, and I just remember like seeing this woman and thinking, I'm supposed to meet you and we're supposed to do something really cool together. And I said that to her, I was like, I don't know what it is we're going to do, but you and I are going to do things together. Um, and I am, so I'm working with Dr. Trish, uh, with a company called Prairie Food right now. And it's just so exciting to be able to be on the ground level of this company that she's had a lot to do with. Um, so, I mean, as, as far as mentors, I think just my husband having the patience to take the time to explain something to me and the willingness to think about the questions I'm asking and, and, you know, just what he did, 
I couldn't figure out why he wasn't home for dinner, you know, in the summertime. I was like, well, you just can't come home for dinner now. Uh, and so he would just say, get in the truck, let's go. And he took me out a few times. He took me crop scouting one time in like a hundred degree heat. And I thought I was going to die. Um, and I think he did that on purpose. So I would never ask to go with him again. And I, and I haven't. Uh, so, so I don't know. I mean, I think that's, that's a really great question because Rick, I think I learn. I'm receptive that I learn from everybody I meet and I, I've changed my positions on so many different human aspects of the heart that I'm, I'm very short to, I'm, I'm, I take my time with somebody to really understand where they're coming from. There's, there's people that don't like the ideas we're talking about. There's people that, that are never going to change. That's on them. It's okay. It's fine. We know you know? That. And we know that it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Gotta remember here. We've got to remember that we're not here to fill or, or say the currently farm. That's what we're We can throw out a couple of ideas and get them to add something to their current operation. Then yeah. it's a win-win for everybody. It is a win. Somebody asked me, how do you measure success when you do a big event with 500 people? You know, and I, I say it's it's one one farm changed, one. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. you know, Ray, I don't know if Ray mentioned this when he talked, if you can get the wives there, the change will happen. If the wives yeah. can, if the wives are at the conference, if they're listening to the session, the change will happen. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> we, we get it done. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm telling you, you're a lot stronger than we are. You, your pain tolerance is much higher. Uh, you're very organized. I, yes. I, don't well i think my service is getting shaky let's give it give us give us any final thoughts you have about what i didn't cover what would you like to get out uh take us home here jess i just it's it's been an honor and a pleasure not only to be on this call but to be accepted into this group to be able to just use my skill set um i couldn't have imagined when, when mama bear showed up and I, and I knew that things were wrong and I knew that over my dead body, we were going to make changes. I had no idea how I was going to do that. Right. I've had so many people take a chance on me. I've had so many people, you know, I didn't have the right things on my resume or I didn't have the right connections to do something, but I've had a lot of people in my life take chances on me professionally. Um, and I just, I, I, we're it's it's all for a reason i don't know there's probably more profound things (laughs) in the world but i just i recognize the place that i'm at and i understand that i have a responsibility um and and i do this for the farmers and the ranchers and hopefully i provide a voice and hopefully i provide a woman's voice and a mom's voice um to the to the conversation and and i can i can bust through walls if if we need to i prefer not to that's not my style but Right. If we need to, we're going to, we're going to tear it down. Well, well, just keep up the great work. What, believe me, what you're doing, people are paying attention to, uh, it's gaining traction, uh, keep building that community. Cause that you can't, you know, it takes a village. We know that. So thank you so much for being a, a guest on, on our podcast. 
Um, I would like to, to thank, I just can't thank you enough. And, and I want to let everyone know that uh, Mitchell Hora will be our guest next week. So uh, please Who? look forward to that. <laughs> I was just kidding. I know Mitchell. <laughs> Mitchell Hora. Oh, Mitchell Hora. Oh, that guy. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Carol, Carol and I are going to say goodbye from Utah. Bye, Jessica. Bye, Thanks. Carol. <laughs> Great to see you. Good to see you. Okay, Jess, thank you so much. Everyone, right. every, everyone have a great evening and we'll, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.